everyone. Welcome to Murders in Paradise. I am Jen, joined as always by Jer Dad. Good evening. Good evening, Jer Dad. How's it going? Pretty good. Excellent. Queso needs some pets. She's awesome. (laughs) She's unusually up and about and hanging out with us today. So you may hear her cheesy panting in the background. She's enjoying herself. We're enjoying her. Yes. You uh, have anything you want to talk about before we jump into murder? No, I got nothing. <laughs> My mind is a I do ask blank. you that every week. You seem to catch you off guard. Okay. I don't take notes for this. You're all doing all the work, and I'm just sitting there going, oh, holy, people are ass. This is terrible. <laughs> all right, well, we're going way back this week. In the way back machine? Let us begin January 13th, 1975. Oh, we've been much further back than this is it's okay. still pretty far. This uh, is mid-range. Me, not alive. Fair enough. Okay. Me, fully alive, running around, probably investigating murders. Well, we're actually going to go back a little further than that. Well, January 5th, 1975. I'm still alive. Yeah. <laughs> and investigating murders. No. Stanley Brower, he's 70 years old. He's from Maplewood, New Jersey. He's a retired knife sharpener. Cool. Yep. Uh, I didn't know knife sharpening was like a job. I mean, I knew people sharpened knives, but not like their profession would be like knife sharpener. I think it's more a European thing where you're like, that's an actual thing. You know, you go around and you like collect the knives and the scissors and you sharpen them. Well. Did they not do that here? I mean, apparently they did in 1970s New Jersey because that's what this guy's job was. So... Uh, Okay, so he's doing weird stuff. Okay. Uh, yes. All right. Retired knife sharpener, 70 years old. It's January of 1975. And one of his friends in New Jersey has sold his Cadillac to someone in Miami. Yep. Okay. With so, you. Uh, so Stanley offers to drive the Cadillac down to Miami. How do you think this happened pre-internet? I was just wondering the same thing. I guess there must have been like... Phone uh, calls. I mean, auto can you trader imagine? magazines and phone calls. Like and the curly crew, corkscrew phone jack. Yeah, corded phones. You don't have a yeah. cordless. So they're calling each other and they're wiring money, maybe? Sending checks in the Who mail? Who knows? Who knows? So anyway, uh, yeah, guy in New Jersey sells his Cadillac to guy in Miami, and Stanley Brower, who's retired, is like, I'll drive it down there. He's a big uh, fisher. He likes to fish. So he's like, I'm going to use this as an excuse for a vacation. Uh, So he brings with him Julius Schwartz, who's his friend. Uh, So they drive down together. So they leave January 5th from New Jersey. They get into Miami on January 7th drop off the Cadillac with the buyer. Everything goes fine. And then they rent a Chevy Vega at the airport. <laughs> uh, dating a us. Fancy well. Chevy Vega. <laughs> uh, and they drive that from Miami to Marathon, Florida, which is the Middle Keys. So they're staying at the Seahorse Motel. There's also a marina at the Seahorse. Seahorse. Yep. Cute. Okay. Uh, so... They drive down on the 7th, and I don't know if this is, uh, I, yeah, so I guess they're down there for a while. They're planning like three weeks. This is still 75. 
Yep. Yep. Uh, so yeah, they get down to Miami on January 7th. And the murder that we're going to talk about is January 13th. He's 70. He's 70. He's still sharpening scissors. No, he's retired. He is retired. Okay. So he's he's got three weeks. He doesn't, that's fine. Yeah. And it's like January, right? So he's like, so high season. Yeah. New Jersey in January and drive down to Miami. And then how about I spend like three weeks or like a month in the keys and uh, I'm just going to go fishing and like hang out down there and whatever. Like it's not that expensive if you're staying in a motel. Cool. Didn't have to pay to get down here. Right. Had a car. I drove the car down here. So it's like a good deal. Right. I mean, especially in the seventies, I think this sort of thing was a little bit easier. Right. There's like cheap places to stay and it's yeah reliable so uh so yeah they have this rented vega there uh so stanley and uh julius are staying at this motel in marathon seahorse the seahorse yep okay so on the day in question january 13th they leave the motel to go to the seahorse marina stanley says he's forgotten his fishing gear so he goes back to the motel so apparently they have to drive between these places um, the Vega. <laughs> they're driving the Vega. Uh, but Julius stays at the marina. Okay. Because he's like, all right, Stanley's just going to go back to the motel, get his stuff, come yeah. back here, whatever that's, I'll that's hang what out. That's what Stanley said. Yeah. Uh, so he's waiting, and Stanley never shows back up. Uh, okay. So, yeah, he's just gone. Eventually, they, so they're like, okay, where is this guy? And uh, they go to the motel. The police go to the motel and they find Julius Schwartz is that still at the motel, right? He's still staying there. Yeah. And he's like, "Yeah, I went. I was gone all day. I went fishing. I came back. Brower's not there. Yeah. His stuff is gone. His stuff is gone. Yeah. So I don't know if that's just like his fishing gear or if like all of his luggage is gone. Yeah. But they're sharing a room. Schwartz's stuff is still in the room." Stanley stuff, Stanley Brown. This stuff is, is gone. the definition of not a good friend. Yeah. He's just like a guy that you drove the car down with because he doesn't seem to really care as much. I mean, who knows, right? Like, there's some people who are mm. like, we're just going to hang out all the time and do this. But it could also be that's like, <sighs> it's two retired dudes I don't know, for man. a month. They may be, and they're staying in the same motel room. Maybe it's like, they're sick of each other. Yeah. Like, I'm going to go do, thank God he's gone. And I can just like have a day to myself. Because he, he left, knowing the guy thought said he was coming back, the guy left to go fishing without him. It was just like, I've waited an hour or something. Yeah, I'm and going, like maybe he changed his I'm mind. out, yeah. And okay. that could be a thing, that, all right, all right. right? That like someone's just like, yeah, you know, I decided to take a nap and said, like we have friends like that, right? You're it's like we make very plans. nice about this. Yes, this is good. I'm just saying like there are, that there's all kinds of people and we have friends who it's like we make plans and then it's like oh you know i i got really tired and i took a nap like never mind yeah and it's right? actually very liberating and 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 free so that that's good right so, so they could yeah, just fair enough and especially like when you're together all the time to sort of have the arrangement where it's just like all right, well he's not here i'm just gonna go do the thing and nobody's gonna get pissed off and whatever <sighs> like, i just don't know i gotta take a side and i don't know which side to take yet you're you're presenting it so neutrally that i'm confounded well let me unneutral it i'm so neutral right now <laughs> uh so schwartz is like i don't know anything about this yeah. and uh he he didn't know anything about it yeah he went fishing he went fishing 
comes back he's like the guy's stuff not there nah okay so why do the cops go to the motel room to talk to schwartz yeah it's because stanley the vega is dead uh, here's what happened this was witnessed there's an elderly elderly couple who witnessed this so stanley is driving in the or is in the vega i don't know if he's driving or if he's the passenger but there's somebody else in the car with oh, him no. who shoots him in the head oh geez pushes him out while the car is moving oh. but he had his seatbelt on so his seatbelt gets caught around him this is he gets awful. dragged like 200 feet. i mean he's dead he gets shot in the head but gets dragged like 200 feet down the road it says quote leaving a bloody trail oh, thanks quote yeah and then his body like finally like falls off the seatbelt and is just left in the middle of route one and the vegas speeds away i'd say the other dude was driving but that's terrible other dude was not driving uh he was clearly fishing the other dude oh no i don't mean schwartz i just meant like the 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 shooter was probably driving and pushed him out of the passenger seat like because it's like we don't know the it's opposite not reported. If, if stanley's driving the guy shoots him and stanley's hanging in the you know in his seat belt getting dragged in the driver's seat i picture a, like the passenger like trying to kick him out kick him out and then like <sighs> finally driving while out. you're doing just all, swerving all over kicking. the place yeah all right all right well schwartz the friend says that he and stanley brower often disagreed on this trip about pitching up picking up hitchhikers Stanley wanted to pick up hitchhikers all the freaking time. Whoever he could, I guess. No, it's 1975, so it's a different time. But yeah. he's like, yeah, let's pick him up. And Schwartz is like, don't pick up hitchhikers. Like, this is dangerous and stupid. And so they're fighting about it the whole time. Oh, this is a, right? Like, so, and if this was a movie, it would totally set up stuff up. Yeah. And <sighs> so Stanley's like, oh, I forgot my fishing stuff. I'm going to go back to the motel and get it. Sees a hitchhiker on the way and is like, well dumb nuts isn't here anymore i'm gonna pick this hitchhiker <laughs> up the guy who tells me not to do anything i'm gonna do no, I'm gonna the do thing. whatever i want he's not here to yell at me uh and, <laughs> and stanley single or married uh he was married yeah, yeah. yep uh not so, yeah. to schwartz though <laughs> no so uh yeah schwartz is telling him not to pick up a hitchhiker he picks up a hitchhiker oh, hitchhiker no. shoots him in the head shoots pushes, him in the head shoots him in the head pushes him out of the car and uh and his body is just left on the oh. highway yep so who did it right we know it's not the friend right uh like a week later the cops find the blood-stained vega abandoned at miami international airport Oof. so whoever shot him drove that vega up to the airport Oof. left it there with all the blood and everything in it the end that's it. That's it. They have never solved this murder. Come on. I know. They have this car full of blood. You'd think there'd be other forensic evidence in there, but it's like 1975. So who knows? You know, if somebody wiped it down, there wouldn't have be any databases back then. They didn't have like nope. anything. They nope. had the old people who saw him get shot, but they weren't focusing on the dude's description who shot him or... It's probably like hippie guy, right? Like there were a lot of yeah, some dude with a guitar or like you know some guy. It's like how if you see a car driving past, push a guy out. Like how much can you describe the other person in the car? Zippy. I like, mean, I would. Maybe I would be super race and gender and age. Maybe I'd, no, I'd really get the car. <laughs> yeah. I would get nothing about the person in the car. Yep. 
I'd be I'd be like, oh, it's a Chevy Vega, recent model. Yeah. <laughs> White walls. They found that, so. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> They'd be like, thank you, sir. That's yeah, we, not helpful. We know what the car was. Uh, was anyone in it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. That's unsolved murder oh, number man. one of this week. That sucks. We got another one for you. Because I knew twofer wasn't long enough. This okay. Whammy twofer. What was that middle part? <laughs> I knew that that one wouldn't be long enough for a full episode. So I've got two. It was really good, though. Really good. I mean, I can tell how many drinks you've had by your enthusiasm. It was for a kick stories. in the gut. Okay. Uh, here's number two. You ready? I'm as ready as I'll ever be. December 30th, 1976. Uh, detectives. December 30th. Interesting. Yeah. Why? Is that interesting? A little while after your birthday. Oh, yeah, it's like a couple weeks after my birthday. I mean, it's in the month of my birthday. It's fine. Okay. It's fine. Uh, December 30th, 1976. Uh, there's a place called the Rock Pit on Grassy Key uh, at mile 55. And there are bones found. So uh, a detective responds because someone is called. There's bones in this heavily wooded area. Oh, so it's more like a rock pit. I thought it was a, a bar, but it's a rock pit. Oh, no, no. It's actually <laughs> for rocks. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's an actual pit there, but it's kind of a wild area. Yeah. Uh, there's Spanish moss, leafy debris, Ooh. vines. So the bones have been there for a long time. Okay. Uh, there was a little bit of clothing found. They found a black T-shirt, and it was knotted up. So the detective says he thinks it was probably tied around the victim's head. Uh, her hair was found tangled in the knot on the T-shirt. <sighs> so, yeah, it's a black T-shirt. It's got a picture of a Tiffany lamp on it. So, apparently, that was a thing that you did in the 70s. That's random. Uh, yeah. Specific. So, yeah. the detective gets called out because there's a camper uh, who lives someplace else in Florida, and he's down there. And uh, when he got back home, he called the Monroe County detectives, and he's like, you know, when we were here, there was this hippie-type guy. That's what he called him, hippie type, uh, who said, I'll show you a human skeleton for a quarter. (laughs) Apparently they gave him the quarter and showed him this, and then he showed him the skeleton. (laughs) And then after they went home, they're like, maybe we should tell the cops about that that skeleton. That doesn't sound right. I know. And they offered to come back down to the Keys to show them where the skeleton was, but they kind of described it in the cops family. I mean, in hippie's defense, you know, that's like a dollar today. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so they... uh, So random. I know. The cops go out there. They take pictures of the bones, like where they're laying, and then the medical examiner comes and gets them and, you know, examines them more. They can't really find any evidence of violent death. Like, there's no knife marks. There's no gunshot wounds on the bones. There's no breaks on them. And so they don't really know how this person died, but because there's a T-shirt knotted up, like, with the person's hair, they figure that there's foul play involved this is before they had dna i mean it's hard to imagine right today they'd be like oh we'll test the dna that'll give us something just or wait <gasps> okay <What>? yeah <sighs> so the bones belong to they think a white female 15 to 16 years old between 5 foot 3 and 5 foot 5 mm. 105 to 115 pounds the hair was reddish brown so this is what they have they uh they get the skull so they have dental records and they're using them to compare them to reports of missing women from all over 
the country yeah and nothing matches they can't find her so they send the dental records and all the information to the florida crime information center the national crime information center ncic which if you're a true crime person you know about it gets put in all these databases they don't get any hits and they're like nothing else we can do right we don't even we don't know who this person is we don't know how long the bones were there yeah we don't know anything like this is it they put them in the databases and that's it yeah so in 2001, all right, so this is 1975, these bones were found in 2000, or 1976. 25 years later. 2001, uh, there's a mother of a girl who went missing, missing in 1974, and this mom becomes convinced that these are her daughter's bones. And so she basically starts harassing everyone, like, good on this mom, and convinces the FBI and the Florida, Florida Department of Law Enforcement, the FDLE, that they need to do DNA testing. So they get the bones, they do mitochondrial DNA. So this is not like the uh, the DNA that should have convicted O.J. Simpson, where it's like, you know, one in a when billion. When was the O.J. trial? Uh, 95, 96. Because after that, a lot of people knew about DNA evidence. Yeah. Uh, and this is actually pretty advanced for the time, because that was sort of like basic DNA uh, this is mitochondrial yeah. DNA. And so the basic DNA gives you sort of this profile that's unique to every person except identical twins. And it, there's a really low probability that you would share those DNA sequences with anyone else. Right. Mitochondrial DNA is not that unique. So it's passed down directly from mother to child. So mothers and children have the same mitochondrial DNA. And so you imagine sort of tracing up your whole maternal lineage, you share your mitochondrial DNA with all those people. And so uh, it's not unique. There's still, you know, a low chance that like, you know, yeah, two and mother daughter has got to be pretty close. It's, I mean, that's mother and daughter's that mitochondrial good, DNA right? will match. It will be identical. Okay. Um, so it's not merged with the father's DNA at all. So it's, it's the mitochondria inside your cells have their own DNA Oh. And that comes from the mother. Oh. And so your mitochondrial DNA is identical to your mother's mitochondrial DNA. So it's good DNA. that way. Yeah. So if you kind of, you can get mitochondrial DNA, it sticks around a lot longer than kind of your normal DNA. It doesn't degrade as fast. In bones. And it's in bones and it's in hair. You can get it out of other places. And so it's not as unique. You can't go, oh, I've got a mitochondrial DNA hit and it's this guy and it's like a one in 15 billion chance it's someone else. It's not that unique. Oh, I see. But it can connect people. And so if you're like, I think this is my daughter, you can do a mitochondrial DNA test. And there's some chance that you'll get a false positive, but... Uh, That's got to be a lower chance. Yeah. 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 So not as good as like straight up regular DNA, but still pretty good. Um, so this mother in 2001 is like, I'm convinced that's my daughter. And so she convinces the FDLE and the FBI to get DNA out of those bones that were found on Grassy Key. And they do, and it's not a match. So oh. it's not her daughter. But now they have this mitochondrial DNA sample from the bones, and there's a mitochondrial DNA missing person database that oh. the FBI has. There's a federal one already in 2001 um, in the run out of Quantico. So that's better than dental record d d database. Yes. Right, because you're like, you know, if your daughter goes missing in 1975... You don't have her dental records okay. or, you know, if the dentist right. is like my childhood dentist died, like my childhood dental records aren't around anymore. I'm not sure I could find my dental records. I mean, I've taken some impressions of my teeth, 
But I don't know where they are, right? Yeah, and so if you had died in, you know, today, 1980, if you yeah. died today, we could get your records. If you died in 1980 and it's like, oh, here's a skeleton, well, let's go find your dentist from 1980 and get your records. Nah. You don't have them. No. And uh, so now they have, now that they have taken this mitochondrial DNA sample from her bones, it goes into this database. And uh, so at a similar time, this is 2001, yeah. a little before this, in parallel, in 1997, uh, this woman, Kim Quinn, who lives in New York, she's the sister of, uh, so her sister went missing in 1976 from uh. Boca Raton. So she's also starting to get online, right? Like 90s are like late 90s, early 2000s are when people are starting to get online. Before before then, like you could get on with AOL, but there weren't a ton of forums. It was hard to create content. You could just yeah. kind of look at pages, but like late nineties, you start getting internet forums, you start getting blogs in the early two thousands and a lot more people are just getting internet access. And so they're starting to do a lot of this searching on these things where like law enforcement's not doing anything anymore. And so they just start going like, all right, my sister disappeared from here. Does anybody know? Yeah. So 1997, Kim starts looking for her sister, who disappeared in 1976. Um, in 1976, when she disappeared, she told her mom that she was going to go to the Keys with some of her friends, but she never came back. But the family never reported from her. From Boca. From Boca. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which, if you don't know, my uh, Florida is kind of north of Miami, but on the east coast of Florida, it's a beach. So she tells her mom that she's going to go to the Keys with her friend. She never comes back. But the family doesn't really report her missing uh they say they did there's no record of it but this girl was sort of a chronic she was running away all the time and so maybe they did report her and the boca police were just like yeah all right like she's run away 10 times so far we're not gonna do yeah. this maybe they just didn't bother that time right it's like all right well yet again she has she's not five run off she's, right yeah yeah she's 15 16 um and so, in any case, there's no report of her missing. So she's not in any databases of missing people, which the Monroe County op, you know, detectives have been looking at. They're looking at everybody who's missing in this age range to see. And so uh, the sister kind of realizes this. Okay, she's not in any databases. Uh, but she keeps learning and eventually finds this report of this possible victim in the keys in 1976 when she's looking through these databases of uh of missing persons and so by this point they have the dna from the test against the other person and she's like okay well this might be my sister she disappeared at this time she said she was going down to the keys and so they get a mitochondrial dna sample from the mom who's still alive and uh they get a match wow so yeah in 2000 and I want to say 2004, she finally gets identified. Man. All right. So 2001, they get that DNA sample. The sister's been looking since 1997. Finally, in 2004, everything comes together and uh, the body is identified as 15-year-old Stephanie Semple. She was last seen alive in March of 1976. Remember, the bones were found in December of 1976. So she probably goes down there probably gets murdered right, you know, around when she comes down March, uh, because the bones had been, they were skeleton. She was a skeleton, right? The bones were out there, yeah. um, in December. So, okay. So now we know who it is. 
that's it. <sighs> Nothing else that we know. So uh, the Monroe County Sheriff has put out you know, a request for anyone who knows who her friends were at the time that she was going down to the Keys with to get in touch, uh, to kind of figure out who it was. But like, that's a long, long time ago. These are people who were born in like 1960. Yeah. Right. On like a high school trip. Like, uh, obviously neither of us are that old, but like, I don't remember like everything I did with my high school friends. I mean, I wasn't allowed to go on trips like that when I was in high school. But if you were allowed to just kind of be going around, like take a road trip, do some stuff, like you were pretty independent as a high school kid because you were in boarding school. No cell phones. Yeah. Like, do you remember every single like little road trip you took for a weekend with your friends in high school? And I don't remember like all the weird stuff that we did. I wouldn't remember. Yeah. I mean, Florida to, I mean, Boca to Marathon, right? Now, was it key? A grassy key. So, uh, kind of like marathon. Yeah. 50, mile 55. I mean, it's less than Boston to New York or New York to Washington. It's like Washington. a three hour drive. Yeah. 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 It's not that if far. that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, yeah. Another one that's unsolved. We know, again, figured out who the victim is. Pretty cool that, you know, after yeah. all that time, so almost 30 years later, they were able to identify the victim. Uh, but that's it. I'm guessing it wasn't the hippie who charged a quarter. Uh, yeah, it seems unlikely that it was the hippie that charged a quarter. <laughs> uh, but you look at a picture of this girl and like she doesn't oh. look like an adult. I'll put her picture up from the Monroe County Sheriff. She looks like a little kid. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you told me that she was like 13, I'd believe you. She's not one of these like 15-year-olds who looks like she's 20. She looks like she's 13. Then whoever did it, I hope they are rotting in hell right now. Who knows? They could still fine. be around. No, I have bad feelings for them. I hope they <laughs> wandered into traffic or yeah, you know, took a Maybe step off the, the same boat. Guy who did both. <sighs> that doesn't help me. Oh, well, I mean, then there's only one person to be mad at. He he boarded a plane and it crashed, and we have forgotten all about it by now because it was one of the. He like, boarded the plane. That he was flying by himself and crashed and nobody else got yes. hurt except for and him and he now he's got dead. eaten by alligators. Okay. Let's go with that. Uh, it's troubling to me that at least one no, both these dudes are out there yeah. roaming around. I know. Got away with it. Uh so you know, the Monroe County Sheriff posts these things every now and then. Yeah. Um so yeah, if you wanna get in touch with them, you can. Uh the Monroe County Sheriff number is 305-292-7000. I don't suspect that we're reaching a huge population of older Floridians, but if we are, you can get in touch with the Monroe County Sheriff if you find this. No. Uh, if you have any tips, let us know. I'm happy to investigate them. But uh, there you go. There's our duo of unsolved. Yeah. And from what we read, the Monroe County Sheriff's Office is pretty good. They're trying real hard with these for sure. Um, I think, no, I think they generally do a good job of patrolling the keys. Yeah. You ready for a dog palate cleanser? I would like that after some unsolved bullshit. All right. Thing number one in our last episode, <laughs> I got two things. Our last episode, we talked about Kevin. I know. The pit bull who got his own fire hydrant. So adorable. And this is the story that 
a listener had sent me and it was from 2017. And I was saying in the last podcast, like, well, you know, they're like, uh, got to do a bucket list for Kevin in 2017. And I'd said on the podcast, so Kevin's probably not still with us. Oh, Kevin is still with us. Kevin's a Adorable. He's so good. All head. these people are sending me pictures of Kevin. So Kevin is still around. He is super happy. He's got this great sugar face Man. and he is loved and just in a wonderful spot. So uh, sorry that I predicted your death, Kevin. Yeah. And on You're the awesome. other, on one of the other podcasts, I did like an internet dare for Kevin. You did? Yeah. The little nitro. Was that for Kevin? I did it for Kevin. I didn't know that. Of course. Oh, well, thanks. The smooch marks. <laughs> yeah, there's this great picture of Kevin with like li with lipstick kisses all over him. He looks so happy. And it's great because they, they said in the 2017 article that like, oh, he you know has kidney failure. He's not doing well. But here it is like two and a half years later and Kevin's still kicking it in Oswego, New York. And everybody loves him. Lots of people are sending me articles about Kevin. So he is still around. Getting a lot of love. Yep. So that is a good thing, number one. Uh, thing number two is that someone sent me these pictures of a coyote who found a stuffed toy in the backyard and was just carrying it around and shaking it around and flinging it up in the air, like playing with it in the That's snow. That's very cute. Yeah. Uh, so it had a very good time for like 10 minutes playing with this stuffy, running around with it and like throwing it down and like dig, dig, digging in the snow next to it. And, was it in Dodo? Uh, no, this is on Mother Nature Network. And Pamela Underhill Carrots is the photographer. And it was in her yard that the coyote found her dog's toy and uh, had a really good time playing with it. So nice. we would toss it up in the air and yeah. I'd say coyotes can be honorary dogs. I'm, I'm, I'm up with that. 100% count as yep, dogs. Yep, yep. Um, so yeah, he had a good time playing with this toy. <laughs> Making me feel bad for all the other coyotes who don't have stuffy toys to play with. <laughs> he had a good time. And it's great because it's like, it's just like full of snow, the backyard. Yeah. And then it's this like, you know, kind of grayish, brownish coyote. And then this like, I think it's a stuffed dog, but it's turquoise. So it's like big stuffy turquoise, like bright, shiny dog toy out in the back that, uh, that the coyote's slinging around with. Manipulated. Another New York story. This is from Trenton Falls, New York. So Nice. Uh, so there you go. Those are our dog palette cleansers. Dogs are better than humans. Of the week, indeed. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, until next week, don't conk out. Don't conk out. Bye. Bye.